quiet our hearts, collect our scattered senses before we turn to God's word. And so let's just take a moment and then I'll pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for coming to us by your word. And as we open it and look at the life of Mary uh, today, uh, we're reminded that as you came to her and said you are favored and highly chosen, and I want to birth divine life in you, uh, that you say that to each one of us. Come to us today, and I know I'm a, I'm a poor substitute for Gabriel, but what we'll hear today is, is the gospel that we are highly favored by the Lord. He wants to take us from our lowly place and lift us up. So would you do that by your word this morning? We give you thank, great thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen. All right. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 1, uh, reading verses 46 through 56. This is Mary's song, the Magnificat. So she's been told that she's going to uh, bear a child, and nobody understands that. So she goes into hiding, uh, because the only person who gets what God has done for her is Elizabeth, because she's also bearing a special child. And together, they're celebrating what God has done, Mary's life. This is her song. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That girl can sing. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And in saying that, there is an activity here that Mary is commending to us. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Well, what does it mean to magnify something? To magnify anything. What does a magnifying glass do? It enlarges the object under its gaze so that it gets bigger. It doesn't create anything new. It enlarges what's already there so that it can be more clearly perceived, studied, and appreciated. And Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. 
My inner life is like a magnifier, bringing out what is true about the majesty and beauty and grace of God and giving it to be in uh, high definition, larger clarity. She's bringing this before her eyes, her thoughts, and what's the result? Joy. It begins with J, it ends with oi. Joy. My spirit, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My Savior. Mary is responding to a very particular thing about God. His gracious intrusion into her life and into her world. He has been her rescuer, her Savior. It's not just that Mary has known God, but much more fundamental to whatever this earthquake is that's happening in her soul is that, is that God has made much of Mary. He has magnified her value and worth. He has seen her humble estate and chosen to save her and exalt her, to honor her and to bless her. She who is without rescue or hope, if left to herself, was found by him, saved by him, exalted by him, blessed by him. And she's mulling over this stuff. She's bringing it to mind. And as a result, God is getting bigger to her. And she's drawing, and she's speaking it so that God would become bigger to us. That's why she's singing. God's bigger for her, and she wants Him to become bigger for others. And she's saying, this song is like your magnifying glass. She's saying, my life and my experience is like a magnifying glass there to enlarge God's character so that you would know that what's happened to me can happen to you. What's happened to me can happen to you. What would it look like to have a soul fully entertained by God? And maybe that's why we find it hard to sing sometimes at Christmas. Because we've become bored by God. Numbed to grace. Numbed to the story. Choose to be entertained by lesser things. But what would it mean to have an inner life furnished with the character of God? And the wonder of salvation My guess is that then our song would sound a lot like Mary's and it would be difficult to take our joy from us. And so Mary comes to us and magnifies the Lord and she draws attention to two things in particular about God that she wants us to pay attention to. What is it that she found so captivating about this God? Two things. Who he lifts up and who he tears down. Who he lives up and who he tears down. 
First, who he chooses to lift up. God's choice of Mary to be the one who would bring the Son of God into the world, Mary thinks, tells you and me and the world something about God's character. I don't know what the qualifications are to be the mother of God. But I don't think Mary had them. I know that there are denominations out there who think that Mary had superpowers. And okay, but she didn't have any special powers. She's just a girl. That's why she's singing. Mary was 13, 14, 15 years old. She was from a no-named backwater town, seedy place. A hive of scum and villainy. Maybe 200 to 300 people, the population of her hometown. And we know that she's poor. The poorest of the poor. Romans didn't even have her hometown on their map. And those same Romans who didn't dignify her town with a place on their map were the occupying force in that town making her life terrible and the lives of the people she loved terrible. And so she lived as an oppressed minority among the Roman people and as a young woman, often overlooked by her own people. Mary was nobody. But when God comes to visit earth, to make his home in the world, He chooses her, laser-focused on Mary. And he lifts her up through his presence from the ash heaps of the world to the heights of blessing and renown so that she's able to say, everyone's going to know my name and know that I was blessed. And that's true. How many of you know the names of all the Caesars? Maybe there's a couple nerds out there who do. You'd have to look in some dusty history book to get their names. The occupying force that made her life terrible. Their kingdom lies in ruins. The kingdom that she partnered with to begin. It's still present in the world Today, and everybody knows Mary's name. He looked at Mary in her lowly circumstances and he chose to make much of her. And what Mary is saying is that that choice is worth meditating upon. That she believes that that choice says something about God's character. That, that he chooses to do this all the time. This is typical of our God. It's one of the things that we love about the Christmas narratives. That when God fills the skies with his angels, and they're there to give this Concert. I mean, I think about some of the concerts I've gotten to see 
some of the venues I've gotten to see. And it's pr- I'm pretty privileged to be able to see those things. I've paid a lot of money to see the Eras Tour. You know what I mean? I was there. We paid money to get there. But here, the greatest concert that's ever been given, an army of angels singing peace to the earth. And who's listening? The lowliest people they could find. Of all the people to hear that amazing concert, none of them were well-dressed. None of them paid for a ticket. They wouldn't have been able to afford it. They were all there because they had to be. (laughs) But that's the kind of God we serve. He would show His beauty and announce His message of good news to the lowest of the low. And He would call them to go find His Son. And that Son would not be in a place where I would put my Son. None of us in this room, if we could choose, would have a child born under the conditions that Jesus was born in. Laying there in a feeding trough for animals because there was no place for Him among the humans. God chose Mary. God chose the shepherds. God chose the manger. And that one who chose the manger would choose the fishermen as disciples and the tax collectors and the sinners as his friends. Mary understands that the choice of her tells us something important about God. He loves the lost, the forgotten, the insignificant, the outcasts, the weak, the broken. Where others say lost, He says found. Where others say condemned, he says redeemed. Where others say, nah, he says yes. When others look with indifference and superiority, he looks with burning love. When others say contemptible, Impossible. God says, blessed. He comes to the lowest. He comes to us when we are bereft. In our anger. When we're sad. When we grieve. When we're hopeless. When we're in pain. In the crisis. That is when he is specifically present to us and when we feel ashamed of ourselves and believe that God is ashamed of us too when we feel so far from God more than we've ever felt in our lives it is precisely then that God is nearer to us than he has ever been ready to break into our lives with his love his grace his forgiveness And the reason why Mary is singing it is because when we're lowly, hurting and alone, it's hard to believe that that's true. It's hard to see God's presence and grace in our lives sometimes, isn't it? When everything is falling apart, 
when we haven't felt him in a long time. It's been a long time since we felt blessed. Mary is saying, let my life be like a magnifying glass to the thing that you can't see. Because God loves the lowly. God is for you. God is with you. He is going to lift you up. He's turning this broken world upside down. And that's the other part of it, isn't it? It's not just that he lifts up the lowly. It's that he brings down the proud. She keeps singing. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Exalted those of humble estate. Filled the hungry with good things. But the rich he has sent away empty. That's what Christmas time is all about, Charlie Brown. And it is. That's what Christmas is all about. Feisty. (laughs) The gentle, sweet, dreamy Mary that we often see portrayed in images. This is like punk rock Mary. So I was trying to find like an image of Mary that gave like, that spoke to who she was. And I found one. Let's see if they can put it up. Oh, so Barbara and Brad, I'm going to describe it to you. This is, this is Mary. At the top of it, it says, cast down the mighty. At the bottom, it says, send the rich away. And then it says, fill the hungry, lift the lowly. But it's Mary with her fist up into the air, her foot on a skull, crushing the snake. Satan, sin, and death. And I said that to the sound team, and they're like, that looks like something that Tom Morello would get tattooed on his face. And I said, that's like something I want to get tattooed on my face. We think about the Magnificat, and we usually hear it in like classical contexts, contexts of beauty. Um, but we forget that in the 1980s, the Guatemalan government banned this song from being sung because it was so politically subversive and disruptive to their regimes. That same move has been made before in both India and in Argentina. This is a protest song sung by a poor peasant Jewish girl at the bottom of society and at the margins of life saying that God is king and he's coming to lift up the poor and cast down those who are prideful and arrogant, rich and powerful. I'll say it again. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary had a dream. And it was the ancient dream of Israel. The dream that one day, all that the prophets spoke would come true. 
that one day Israel's God would do what he promised. That he would bless the whole world through Abraham's offspring. But for that to happen, the powers that kept the world in slavery had to be toppled. Nobody was going to feel blessed if they were poor, hungry, enslaved, and miserable. God was going to have to win a victory over the the bullies and the power brokers and the forces of evil. And Mary knew that all too well. So here's a woman, and her heart is not only a flame for God, but her eyes are ablaze with a vision of God's justice. And she holds on to this vision with tenacity. And she looks at the Herods of the world who are oppressing people mercilessly with taxes that are too much for them to bear. She looks at the Herods of the world who are slaughtering the the innocents in Bethlehem. She looks at the Caesar Augustuses of the world who who are bringing the peace of Rome unless you disagree with them and then you're crucified. And she looks behind them to the principalities and powers of this world, the cosmic malignant forces that are in the world to divide us and to destroy us. And what does she say? You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus. That's not what she says. She says, you better watch out. Because a day is coming when a king is coming. And he's going to make all things right. He's going to take power and he's going to turn it on its head. He's going to take injustice and he's going to turn it inside out. He's coming to bring a kingdom that will last forever a great reversal and we may think mary i don't know it sounds a little disruptive sounds a little aggressive too on the nose but then we remember that this child that mary had he would talk this way And so when he gave his sermon on the mount, when when Luke records it, in Luke chapter 6, so this is his, his main sermon that he would preach everywhere he went. This is what he this is what Jesus sounded like. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. For you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. But woe to those who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now. For you will be hungry. Woe to those who laugh now. For you shall mourn and weep. Christmas time is all about, Charlie. And what what is God saying? Is he against the rich? Is he against laughter? Is he against being full? No. Our God loves abundance. 
He loves it when people are satisfied. He loves it when people are full. He is the God of joy. The problem isn't that there are full people. It's that there are full and they don't give anything about the people who are in need. It's not that people have riches. It's when those riches have been achieved on the backs of others. It's when they're hoarded rather than shared. The problem isn't with joy. It's joy at the expense of others. Joy with no concern for another's sorrow or tears. A joy fixed on fleeting pleasures rather than on loving others. It's not these conditions. It's the pride and the smugness and the self-righteousness that often attends them. When those with these things don't use them to bless others. And so the warning is for those in those positions with that kind of pride, watch out. Because God isn't going to let that go on forever. God is regularly in the business of giving grace to the humble and humbling the proud. Which means that the good news is that if you are poor, lowly, hurting, hungry, a reversal could be right around the corner. But the same could be said for the proud. A reversal could be right around the corner. But we need to now put ourselves in the shoes of Mary. For her, it was all good news. It was good news for the shepherds. It's good news for the lame and the sick and the hurting, for the tax collectors and sinners. God lifts up the lowly and the humble, and Mary is magnifying that for us. And so what should we do with that? We need to enter the story. We need to enter the story. In 1933, when Diedrich Bonhoeffer preached on this passage, this is what he said at these... He said, when God chose Mary for his instrument, when God himself was in the manger at Bethlehem, when he decided there to come into the world... That was no romantic family portrait, but the beginning of a total turning point, a new ordering of all things on earth. And if we want to participate in this Advent happening, we cannot simply be spectators at a theater performance, enjoying familiar scenes. We must ourselves become a part of the activity, this changing of all things. We must become a part of the drama. What would it look like for us to see ourselves as a part of this great movement of lifting up the lowly? Because the degree to which we're captured by this story is a degree that we will allow ourselves to be changed by it so that our life can begin to mirror Christ. So that you can begin to, see, begin to see that it's better to give than receive. That you actually find your life by giving it away. That the only way up is down. And the only way to greatness is through 
service. I imagine that many of us will feel rich in the next few days. Rich with family, rich with relationships, rich with gifts, rich with love. And there is nothing wrong with that. That is great. God loves that. But there is a deeper joy to be had, which is what does it look like? Give this to more and more people. This love, this grace. What does it look like to use what we have to elevate others? That's a very Christian question to ask on Christmas. But for others of us, it's not lifting up the lowly, it's allowing God to lift us up. Out of the ash heaps. Out of the sickness. Out of the fear. Out of the loneliness. Out of the shame. It's to look at Mary and to see what He's done for her and to think, to imagine and have faith that He could do it again in me. To experience Christmas is to trust that God can do it again. That He can be born in me into the broken mess of this gorgeous world. Into the broken mess of my life. And what Mary's life really teaches us is that salvation need not feel like salvation at first. Because it's God there in the manger, in the manure. That's our Savior. And that's the soil from which salvation grows. But in the end, blessings will flow from this child into Mary's life into our life. Blessings as far as the curse is found. My last thing. 1,700 Christmases ago, Gregory of Nyssa preached a sermon on this text and he said this. What was achieved in the body of Mary will happen in the soul of everyone who receives this word. If we carry around the faith of Mary, we will carry in our hearts the blessing of Mary. May it be to us according to His word. Let me pray for us. That girl can sing, Lord. Thank you so much for loving Mary. Thank you for choosing her. Thank you for your laser focus on her life and her situation. And thank you for the faith that she had to believe that any of this could be true. Because she received it and she submitted to to your word and she began to participate in the great renewal of all things. But it's precisely because Mary is a lot like us that we have hope. Because your word comes to us this morning. And you say... I want my life to be born in you anew. I want hope to be born in you anew. I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing. So would something about, would this magnify the Lord in our lives so that we can rejoice in our spirit at a great salvation? We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. 
Amen.